0: What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the J-Ham Special, where I love to talk about Magic the Gathering, Warhammer 40k, Dungeons and Dragons, and other aspects of my nerdy life. My name is John. I'll be the host for this episode of Magic Monday, where I love to talk about my favorite tabletop card playing game, Magic the Gathering, and usually talk about deck techs, topics, ideas, themes, or card spotlights for the, uh, for the game itself and the hobby itself. To be honest with you, today's episode, I was actually really inspired by the Command Zone. They just recently updated their commander deck template, and that thing has been super helpful for me. Every time I jump in, and using it as a starting point to build my commander decks. It's made it a little more streamlined. It's made it easier for me. And something that I kind of was trying to figure out is I didn't really see anybody doing that for the casual magic player. Somebody that's got a 60-card deck that... It's just one to make it focus, not necessarily an optimized or competitive deck, but something that can actually have some direction and fare pretty well against other people. So some of the concepts that I'll talk about for this deck building template and just my deck building process in general will sound a little bit similar to what they do, but I am gearing this towards the person that is wanting to build their very first 60 card deck as a casual player or somebody that's wanting to jump into it and just have an easier way to build their decks. I'll talk about kind of how I do it with myself and then I'll focus and tell you about what kind of cards you should be including in each of your decks. So without further ado, let's dive into my casual deck template for Magic the Gathering players. All right, well, let's keep this short and sweet. Hopefully, by now, whenever you're thinking about building your first deck, um, or at least building a new deck, you should have an idea of what you are wanting to build. You have an idea, you have a goal, you have a theme, you may even have some cards or colors that you've already decided you want to play. So what does the template actually look like? Well, the template to start with is always start with lands, in my opinion. It helps take a huge chunk out, and you're either going to have 20 to 24 lands, In your deck already. Just have those accounted for on the side. You can go check out my episode where I talk about building a uh, a budget or casual mana base uh, for two and three color cards and how to upgrade them as well. Um, It was one of my favorite episodes to make alongside this one so go check it out. It's super helpful and that will hopefully help you out with what lands you should put in there. From there you need to go with one to two play sets of removal or interaction So that's four to eight cards. One to two play sets of card draw or filtering cards. So again, four to eight cards. Two to three play sets of power cards. Two to six play sets of support cards. So the two to six play sets of support cards, I always leave this one last because these are the things that are going to fill up the rest of your deck to help enable it and amplify the rest of the cards you've already thrown into there. A couple of things that makes it a little bit handier for me to do. Um, I kind of stole this from Ryan Gomez over at Arcane Sanctum on YouTube. Check out the channel, especially if you love to learn more about the lore or history or story of magic. Um, he talked about putting card sleeves aside. So if you're building a commander deck build, put 100 card sleeves aside. If you're building a standard 60 card deck, well then put 60 card sleeves aside. And that makes it easier. So like for the lands, you say, I'm just going to take 20 of these card sleeves out. So there's one third of my deck is already accounted for. Now I just got to figure out filling fill in the rest of them. And then as you get those removal pieces slapped in there, boom, you've got them. Then as you go through and get that card drawer filtering in there, boom, you've got it. Then once you get your power in there, boom, you've got it. Once you get that support in there, boom, you've got it. So it helps out with breaking down the deck a whole lot easier. But if you're not getting use card sleeves, you're just going to play with cardboard on table, then that's completely fine. Just ignore the card sleeve mentality. So let's go ahead and talk about what each of those categories actually mean. But that's the template for those of you that just want to get it right out of the way. That's what I have. All right, so let's break the template down. Just kind of more than plain and simple, kind of go a little bit more of an explanation what I mean. So just starting off the 20 to 24 lands, that's either if you're going with the rule of nine or rule of 10, that's going to determine how many lands you play. My recommendation, if you're unsure about what to go with, I'm usually in a point where I'm like, you know what? I'd rather draw more lands and be able to play my big spells than draw my big spells and not be able to play them because I don't have enough lands. It's usually better to be mana flooded than mana screwed. And as you play the deck, you're going to kind of figure out, you know, tuning it a little bit. This is just the starting off point. If you're playing a bunch more spells that cost four, five, six mana to actually bring out to the battlefield. Maybe go towards that rule of nine and play with 24 lands. If you're playing with a bunch of smaller cards of one, two, and three, then you might be able to be able to stick with 20 lands. And that's usually where the rule of 10 comes into play pretty well. From there, you want to look to four to eight or one to two play sets of those removal cards um, or interaction cards. So what I mean by this, removal could be a spell like uh, murder. Black, black, one of the other color, instant speed, destroy target creature murder gets rid of or removes a creature from the battlefield now you can kill your own creature if you want to don't know why unless you're playing a deck that does that but more often than not you're gonna be getting rid of something that your opponent is playing so whenever you go through and look at removal something that can be really helpful is making sure you have spells that work towards advancing your game plan so if you're playing a creature centric deck that wants to swing in and not have anybody to block them Playing spells that kill your opponent's creatures, like Murder, or like Lightning Bolt, or like Path to Exile, Fatal Push, yada, 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 those all help you with getting rid of your opponent's creature. Um, so, things like Exiling, Destroy, Return, those are usually things you want to look for when you're looking for removal, or deals damage to. Um, interaction, a little bit different, it's like proactive removal, so it's not getting rid of that's already on the battlefield, Instead, these are spells that are proactively stopping your opponent from being able to play them. So, um, counterspell. Blue, blue, instant speed, counter target spell. You're stopping your opponent from being able to play a spell. You're making it dissolve right then and there. So, if they have something that says, when I enter the battlefield, it does this thing. It destroys a land or an artifact or whatever. Well, guess what? You play counterspell, it doesn't get to trigger that enter the battlefield ability. Instead, that gives you an advantage. So, if somebody says, oh, I'm going to play six mana to play this colossal dreadmaw, and you pay 2 mana to stop them, you've effectively time-walked them. You've made them lose an entire turn of paying mana to play that spell that they're not going to be able to use now, that just goes straight to their graveyard. Really huge advantage. Really big boost for you. Um, Another piece that I would say is that interaction or proactive removal um, is spells like Duress. Duress is 1 black mana sorcery speed, Your target opponent reveals their hand, and you get to remove a non-creature, non-land card from it. So if you're worried that your opponent is a combo player, or maybe you're worried that your opponent's going to be playing spells that will remove your big scary creatures or threats, Duress is a good card to have in there. There's a lot of different cards like Duress that tear your opponent's hand apart. Um, Divest is one of them, I think Despise is another one, and each of them kind of do something different. Some get rid of creatures, some get rid of non-creature, non-lands, some get rid of lands, some get rid of planeswalkers. You figure out what's going to be the biggest threat that's at going to stop your deck from winning, and make sure you put in that interaction to kind of get rid of that so i say have four to eight removal cards i usually pack in at least eight um, whenever i'm first building my decks to make sure that i have enough interaction and a couple things to keep in mind is the more flexible you can make it the better off it's going to be for you and i wouldn't necessarily say that you need to jump over to do like board wipes like wrath of god or day of judgment which is white white to of any other color destroy all creatures if you're playing a deck which is a mono white deck that wants to play a bunch of creatures like a mono white soldier deck where you're playing raise the alarm and stuff where you're bringing out a bunch of small little tokens you probably don't want to be a person playing a board wipe that will destroy your board state that's helping your opponent advance their game plan or at least stop you instead you may want to focus more on that single target removal where you're destroying one thing the more flexible you can be with it the better a spell that can get rid of an artifact or enchantment is better than a spell that only gets rid of an artifact a spell that can get rid of any non-land permanent like anguished Unmaking, making which costs black white one of the other color it just it exiles non-land permanent and yes you lose three life but it's instant speed and pretty much gets rid of any target you need to be worried about that is what you should be looking at for more flexible removal even spells like um uh what the heck is the blue one i'm thinking up here Disperse, I think is what it's called. So one blue mana, one of the other color, instant speed, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. That is a piece of removal. Sure, your opponent can just play it next turn, but you are temporarily getting rid of that thing that is screwing up your game plan or maybe advancing your opponent. Maybe they're like, oh, I just played this. Uh, two mana, send it back to your hand. Now they're going to have to play it again. And if they don't have enough mana this turn, they got to wait till the next turn to untap and get the chance to play it. So that's where I say one to two play sets of those removal cards. You can kind of fine tune it as you play the deck a little bit too. So you might say, oh, I want to do actually six because I don't need eight pieces of removal. That's fine. That's the tuning step. That's not the beginning template. Um, From there, you want to have at least four cards or one play set of card draw or card filtering. So, what do I mean by this? This is something that I've added kind of new into my decks and it's really helped with powering them up and making them feel a little bit more like they're doing stuff each time you play. I mean, if you're losing, you feel like you're getting to do something in the game, so that's what's really cool about them. Card draw is a spell like, um, divination. One blue mana, two other color, sorcery speed, draw two cards. So you're paying three mana to draw two cards. It's not the best rate in the world, but it works. Um, you can play a lot of different spells that do that. Blue Sun is another one where it's blue, 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 X. Target player gets to draw X amount of cards. So you can end up winning the game by drawing a bunch of different cards sphinx's revolution does kind of the revelation not revolution sphinx's revelation kind of does the same thing where you're gaining life and drawing cards and that's a pretty big finisher in a lot of blue white decks card draw is really advantage or advantageous for a lot of people that are wanting to make it to the late game or maybe don't have their finishers in hand If you have card draw that's going to help you get over to the cards you need that's why I also put card filtering here. I know a lot of people, like in the commander community, say card filter spells are awful. If you have to discard a card to draw a card, that's not a very good rate. You're probably right, but it's pretty okay for when you're playing a 60 card deck that is kitchen table where you're going to play with four copies of each card. That changes things up a little bit more, and you don't necessarily need to have more than seven cards in your hand. Heck, having seven is a pretty special place to be at. So. What do I mean by card filtering? Well, those are cards like Tormenting Voice. Tormenting Voice costs one red mana, one of the other color, sorcery speed. As an additional cost, you have to discard a card from your hand. Once you do that, you get to draw two cards. So you're effectively, you're getting rid of Tormenting Voice and one other card in your hand that is hopefully a dead card that you're not gonna use. And you're paying two mana in order to draw two cards. So if you're like, oh man, I've got a bunch of mana on the battlefield, I've got another land in my deck that I, or in my hand, that I don't need right now, and I've got this Tormenting Voice. Well, hopefully you can pay the two mana, get rid of Tormenting Voice, and that land in your hand, and you get to draw into a couple cards, like a giant shiv and dragon or something. Those are what card filtering cards do. So you might hear the term of rummaging, where you discard a card, then you get to draw a card named after rummaging goblin that does that effect or looting which is from merfolk looter where you get to draw a card and then you discard a card because blue's a little bit better at saying oh well now i get to decide what i have red's like "Ooh, i'm really taking a chance i'm getting rid of this card that might be good for me but i'm hopefully getting something that's even better so card draw card filtering that's what i mean and one other piece that i would tell you too that i would consider to be card filtering are cards known as cantrips these are any card that goes through it has you do an effect, and then you get to draw a card off of it. So one that comes to mind here is um, uh, Thoughtscour for me playing my mill deck. Thoughtscour costs 1 blue mana, it's instant speed. Target player puts the top 2 cards of their library into their graveyard. So for me being a mill player, I really enjoy that. The other cool thing is Thoughtscour also has the little tagline on there that says, draw a card. So I'm milling my opponent for two, which is what my deck's game plan is in the first place, and then I get to draw a card to replace it. It's helping me filter through my deck. So cantrips usually play towards what you're wanting to do for the deck, and then you get to draw a card that replaces it, so that way you can hopefully get to more cards and just kind of keep going on a loop. Cantrips are really awesome, and that's why I can say you can technically have more than just four cards or a full play set that do these things for card draw and filtering because cantrips, they're thrown on almost anything nowadays. If you're destroying a creature, there are some cantrips that allow you to destroy a creature, you get to draw a card. There are some cantrips that allow you to put a land on the battlefield like Explore, one green mana, one of the other color, play an additional land this turn, draw a card, Well. You get to ramp yourself and then get to draw another card that's really good for green. And so it's replacing itself. It's filtering through your deck. And um, one that I'm playing right now is Warlord's Fury in my like mono red budget decks and then building for some friends. It's a sorcery speed, which is kind of a bummer, but it costs one red mana and then your creatures gain first strike and then draw a card. So effectively, it is like one red mana to get rid of that card and draw a card. Not too bad. Not to mention, you give all your creatures first strike. If you want to swing in and make sure that they don't die from somebody that's matching them up on parity there, well then, go ahead and do that. Um, Something else since I'm talking about cantrips too cards that cycle, I would consider to go in this filter category. I don't think they're near as good as cantrips, but they can be. Um, So, for those of you that don't know, cycle. A lot of times a card has an ability like unearth. One black mana, sorcery speed, return target creature from your graveyard with converted mana cost three or less, put on the battlefield. So for one black mana, you get to bring something back to your battlefield. But if you don't need that card, you can pay two colorless mana and cycle it and then you get to draw a card. So you're getting rid of your card for two mana and then you get to draw it. It's not as good as Tormenting Voice in my opinion, but it does it what it needs. So if you're playing a control deck, you're like, I really don't need these cards and I can just cycle them away. Well then, hey, that's what you can go for. So that's why I say have at least one play set. You can have two if you really want to as well, but, or heck even more, if you're playing a bunch of cantrips and stuff, but try to stick with that one to two. And um, that allows you to draw through more of your deck, get the more powerful spells you need, or also get rid of the jank in your hand that you don't need at this time. Maybe it was good at the beginning of the game. It's not very good at the late game. Uh, From there... You know, I talked about power. So have at least eight to twelve or two to three play sets of power cards. These are cards that can stand on their own two feet or advance your win condition in an explosive or powerful way. They're essentially they're the anchor cards. They're the ones you want to build your deck around. It's so like, for instance, I would consider a power card to be like Delver of Secrets. Sure, it's not very good and it doesn't stand on its own two feet, but one blue mana you make a one one and then you reveal a card if it's instant and sorcery you get to transform it now it's a three two for one and you didn't have to pay any extra mana on top of it you just had to reveal a card that is powerful yes you're having to build your deck around it to be having a bunch of instants and sorceries in there similar to how kiln fiend which hopefully you guys will get to see that spotlight card episode i do about it but those cards want you to play a bunch of instants and sorceries in order to be explosive and win the game to help the deck function overall. Power can also be just cards that stand on their own two feet. Something like um, Sarah Angel, a lot of people would consider it to be a classic power card. Yes, she costs white, white, three of any other color. She's got flying. She's a four-four angel that has flying, so she's got that evasion there, and vigilance, so she can attack and she can block if need be. And back in the day, back when that were the deck was out and about sarah angel was kind of the top in there now you can pick her up for like a quarter a piece but back in the day she was super powerful because she'd be able to get to the battlefield she can deal four damage to your opponent so it puts them on a five turn clock if you haven't already done damage to them already and then um yeah you just get to swing in at them and they can't throw any of their weak little creatures at you because she'll just block them and kill them so that's what i would consider to be power other power cards that are they may have an effect that they can help out the rest of your deck, but they can support themselves, more or less. They don't need somebody from outside coming in to help them out. So, the card I think about a lot of times, another angels, Archangel Thune. Archangel Thune, she is uh, white, white, three of other color. She's an angel, she has flying, and she has lifelink, and she's got a 3-4 body. Now, she also has another ability on there that says whenever you would gain life, put a plus-one, plus-one counter on each creature you control. That includes her. So, Here's how it works. If she's the only card you have in your hand, you get to play her. She can swing in and deal that three points of damage. You gain three life. You activate her ability, put a plus one, plus one counter on her and any creatures you have on the battlefield. And now she's a four or five creature. You get to do it again next turn. Gain some life, activate her trigger. She gets bigger. She gets more powerful. She helps the rest of your board. That is power. And a lot of times that's more longevity when you're looking at that kind of that kind of idea you can also pair up other cards to help support her or amplify her which I'll talk about in a second that will maybe say oh you gain life well now you've activated that trigger you know one white mana gain life or you tap a creature gain life every time you gain life you're putting plus one plus one counters on there and so you can really make her into a huge scary angel And that's why I play her in a lot of my commander decks and I used to play her back in modern but she can be broken just like a lot of power cards so those cards are the ones that should be going in your deck at least two to three play sets that scream build around me make sure they're synergistic make sure that they're working together don't say oh i'm gonna play this life gain creature here that wants to hit the battlefield and gain much life oh and then i'm gonna play this other thing over here that wants me to move. sacrifice itself or other creatures would be the only creature on the battlefield that's they don't necessarily work together try to find power cards that synergize well together and work well together They don't have to, but it does help you out in the long run. Finally, the remaining play sets that you should look at there. So that's anywhere from two to six play sets, depending on how you actually put the deck together. If you put more removal or interaction in there, if you put more uh, card draw or filtering, if you put, you know, three play sets of power cards and you're playing with 20 lands, well then, yeah, you're going to be playing with two different play sets of support cards. Support cards are cards that do not stand on their own two feet. They help amplify or they help enable another piece of the puzzle, more or less. So like I was talking about Delver's Secrets earlier, a bunch of instant sorcery cards, something like Dive Down, I would consider to be a spell that helps support Delver's Secrets, helps support Kiln Fiend. Dive Down requires them to be on the battlefield so it doesn't work by itself, but whenever it is played in conjunction with those cards, you give them hexproof and so you can stop your opponent from getting rid of them but also can make them more powerful due to the fact that Delver wants that card to be revealed, or Killing just wants that card to get played in the first place. I'll harken back to one of my um, decks I built. Whenever, back when I played Standard, I was playing over... Um, actually, I think the last set I was playing Standard in was Shadows of Interstrad. So, Shadows of Interstrad had um, the set mechanic investigate within the first set. Eldritch Moon did not, but Shadows of Winterstrad did. And that's what I was actually built my deck around. I had pulled um, several copies of the card Tireless Tracker. And that was actually one of my uh, pre-release picks that I had gotten a hold of. And uh, Tireless Tracker, she costs one green mana, two of any other color. And she has her ability that says whenever a land would enter the battlefield, so, aka Landfall... Investigate. You create a colorless clue token that you can pay two mana and sacrifice to draw a card. Now she's got a second ability down below that states that sh- uh, whenever you sacrifice a clue, give her plus one plus one. And she's already a 3-2 human scout, so she worked good in human decks, she worked well in investigate decks, and that was where I went around the investigate side. So, in order for me to say, oh, well, how am I going to make Tireless Tracker more powerful? Because over the long game, she does pretty well, but I want to bring as many clues to the battlefield to help me sacrifice those things or play other spells to take advantage of my investigating. I played a card like Confront the Unknown. Confront the Unknown costs 1 green mana, is instant speed. And the way it works is you investigate, you choose a target creature, and it gets plus one, plus one for each clue token you control. So, if you're building the deck correctly, um, hopefully you're playing a bunch of lands with Tireless Tracker on the battlefield to generate those clue tokens. And then you're also playing maybe other spells, like um, Three of an Investigator, you know, one white mana... It's a one-two human, um, and then you get to investigate. So you bring another clue to the battlefield, and then you play Confront the Unknown. And then yeah, now it's a um, plus three, plus three to your creature, and you've got a bunch of these investigate clue tokens that uh, you can then pay more mana into sacrifice them and put plus one, plus one counters and draw cards. Thanks to Tireless Tracker. So. I would go through, and that's what I anchored my deck around, is I said, I'm going to do this, and I started figuring out other um, investigate people, like uh, Bribridge Patrol was one of them, I think it costs four mana, and if you sacrifice at least three clues in the turn, you get to put a creature from your hand onto the battlefield, so, you know, that was an easy way to cheat in creatures like my Sigarda. Um, Sigarda, so you know, she costs some mana, she brought the battlefield, did a pretty good job at bringing everybody together and protecting all of your humans, including Tireless Tracker, including uh, Briarbridge Patrol. So that was my focus, was I used those cards, I also used Over Wall Mysteries, which one of your creatures said, hey, if your creatures die, you get to investigate, and every time you investigate, you're creating one one colorless clue token, so... A lot of times what would happen is I would build up my board state and have a Tireless Tracker and Ovenwald Mysteries on there. If my opponent decided to kill the Tracker or kill one of my other creatures, well now I'm getting to create more clue tokens thanks to Ovenwald Mysteries. And that is just generating more clue tokens every time one of my creatures dies. Then I get to every time sacrifice a clue, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice... I'm pumping up Tireless Tracker, and I'm putting a little 1-1 chump blocker over there to help make sure that I can send Tracker over into the wilderness to go take down the Mighty Beast, aka the other Planeswalker, and then I have a bunch of guys chump block to protect myself from actually dying. And of course, Sigarda worked out very well, because as things were dying, you could pay two, exile from your graveyard, create another little soldier token on the battlefield, and it, it just felt really well, and I really enjoyed it. And that was actually the last standard set that I built around, and I had a good time building around, because once that rotated out, I was like, oh, I'm not really too interested in a lot of this other stuff. I mean, I kind of was, but I started getting a modern in that time, and I was heavily into Commander at the time, too. So, but that was the deck that I was building. That was the focus. I used my power cards anchors to sit there and say build around me look at these mechanics look what i can do and how i am powerful and find cards to support me so that's how i brought in the three of an investigators to say oh i've got this little dinky little person i can play on turn one and she gets to create a clue token which will then help out my um tireless tracker and then i might also go through and i can put in tamio's journal you know it's five mana uh, legendary artifact and um Yeah, it investigates every single turn, but you can tap it, sacrifice three clues, and go look for any card in my library and put it in my hand. So that card played very well with Briar Bridge Patrol, which was also another Investigate. So I had my couple of power cards that said, hey, if these are on the battlefield, they are going to do work. And I had other cards to make sure that I'm either generating more clue tokens or I'm taking advantage of the ability of sacrificing them to really do some good work. So, yeah, that's the explanation of each of the categories. Hopefully the template really helps you guys out. And it's not a hard and fast thing. You know, you can go through and say, I'm going to play the all the play sets. and You're going to pick up the four copies of each of these cards. But you might come to find that you need to do a little bit of tweaking and tuning. And that comes with play experience. That comes with you going to Friday Night Magic or sitting around your kitchen table with your buddies and figuring out, oh, you know, you look at a card in your hand. I'm like, man, I every time I draw this thing, I hate seeing it because I cannot play it or it just does not do what I want it to do for this deck. It helps you stay focused and maybe you can do some tuning. You know, for me, I don't need four copies of Jace Memory Adept into a mill deck, but it can be nice if I'm playing casually. I have a couple of them over there, you know, for five mana hit the battlefield, you know, mill your opponent for 10 for zero on his uh, ability. Thing is, I only play one Jace at a time, so I don't need to have four copies of them. Because if I have another Jace in my hand, well, it's just a dead card at that point. I need to be only playing maybe one a game, if even that. So you might need to do some tweaking and figure out, you know, what's going to work best for you. You know, maybe you don't need, you know, 24 lands, but you need 22 lands, so you can cut down a couple lands add in a couple more card draw or filtering cards that will help you get through your deck. That is entirely up to you on how you want to build the deck. But I really hope the template makes your deck building experience a little bit easier. Hopefully the categories... were explain well enough that you kind of understand what i'm saying and helps you evaluate what cards you want to bring to the battlefield and i'm i've been really excited to actually record this episode and talk about it i've done a lot of planning around it i've done a lot of my playtesting about it i've even got some decks that i've put up for intro decks that are budget for people to get into that actually follow these categories of this how many lands i'm playing here's my removal package here's my card draw filtering here's the power here's the support you know this is how the deck works so if you guys are interested let me know i'll tweet them out I'll, i'll send them the links or whatnot, um, but if you want to get a hold of me, if you have questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, revelations, insights, or you just want to share your stories of, hey, I was really successful in using this thing, or hey, I don't really think this really works out very well, have you ever thought about tweaking it this way, hit me up at the jhamspecial at gmail.com or jhamspecial on Twitter, that's the official email and Twitter for the podcast itself. And until the next time, you guys have fun slinging your spells and playing some paper magic or even online magic as well, too. Um, And be good to yourselves. Until the next time, we'll see you on the next Magic Monday. Bye.